0: Good morning again, and welcome to Seneca, oh, very good morning, morning. don't want to cut you off, good to see you all. Uh, We are just one week away from wrapping up our series, Joseph Living the Dream, and then two weeks from today, we're going to start a new series called Relation Slips, so we're going to talk about all the little slips we make in relationships, whether it's in our family, whether it's at work, on and on and on. And so we'll be looking at that throughout the rest of the summer. So it's good to have you here. Uh, So far, as we've looked at Joseph, we've uh, seen him living the dream. But we've also seen that living the dream for him also includes some nightmares. The nightmare of adversity. uh, The nightmare of temptation. The nightmare of discouragement. And uh, if you're just joining us for the first time or need to catch up, obviously you can see all the ways you can look online and... um, Uh, you know, catch up on those kinds of things. So, you know, (laughs) it's kind of interesting, you know, Joseph had a dream, a God-given dream. And uh, those of us who remember the first couple weeks, uh, God-given dream, very clear. It's a dream of success. Yet in his life, every week we are reminded that his dream included a number of nightmares, And uh, most of us have been there. Actually, probably all of us have been there. We've been in these situations where we feel that there's a dream, there's a direction for life. Uh, We might even say a God-given direction for life. And uh, things start to come together, and and we're living the dream. And all of a sudden, some of these nightmares slide in. Sometimes it's a, a bad week, a bad month, a bad year, a bad few years. Uh, Sometimes it comes at our place of employment. It was our dream, and all of a sudden, there's lots of nightmares mixed in. Uh, Some of us have been through that maybe with our marriage. uh, Maybe it's with our kids. uh, Maybe with our parents. uh, uh, Maybe with our neighbors. We have this dream neighborhood we move into. I remember when one time we moved into a condo situation and thought it was so fantastic until we finally discovered what a condo association was for. And that was not a good situation. Some of you don't even even know what that means. They tell you what you can do, what you can't do. And I said, I thought I bought this thing. But anyway, so we have all these kinds of dreams we have. A lot of them we think are God-given dreams. And uh, then we find that there's these nightmares uh, mixed in. Now, when it comes to our dreams, uh, they have all kinds of different settings, all kinds of different ideas tied to them. And and sometimes uh, we might feel like these folks. What is success? Making a billion or making a difference. Whatever success is to you, find it at Career One. So sometimes we think our dream, living the dream, is this success. Uh, I love that little scene where the people are on the yacht, and actually it seems like the uh, maitre d', whatever you would call that, you wouldn't call him a servant, but whatever he was, uh, he lifts the guy's hand up so that he can slap five with his his wife there. But uh, whatever that may be, maybe it's the billion, maybe it's making a difference. We all have uh, different dreams, and uh, we get into that. We all define them just a little bit differently. And uh, again, sometimes we get into the middle of the dream, the dream of success, and find it not shaking out the way we expected. Anna and Walter are young, single, and in love. They've got good jobs, fabulous futures, a magnificent new home that they bought for a song. Who says they can't have it all? (laughs) It's gonna be fun fixing it up, you'll see. Money Pit, if they've got what it takes, it's going to take everything they've got. The most disturbing part about that video clip is to see that guy in his shorts in his kitchen. At first I go, does that guy get his boxers on? Do I need to cut this out? No, those are the shorts. Back in the 80s, guys, that's what we wore, those really short shorts. Ooh. Anyway, that line, though, at the end, if they've got what it takes, it's going to take everything they've got. When we first hear that, we think it's negative. But the reality is, if you and I have a dream, and if we're a Christ follower, hopefully that dream is God-inspired, God-directed, it's not just a wish, it is going to take everything we've got. When God puts a dream in front of us, and sometimes we have them unfolding before us, sometimes it takes some period of time, Some direction, it doesn't have to be grandiose, like a showstopper for other people to observe, but sometimes it's just our dream. It's what God's given us, and it's in our heart. And again, it may not be a newsline-worthy thing, but for us, it is. Whatever that may be, it's going to take whatever we have to live out that dream. We have to engage in it. And remember, flashback to Joseph. Maybe around 10, his mother dies, giving birth to his brother. 17, his brothers can't stand him. A lot of reasons for that. Sold off into slavery. Finally gets lands at this household. He he engages, does a great job, rises up through the ranks to second in this household. His master's wife makes an unfounded accusation against him. Instead of uh, losing his life, which was possible, he gets thrown into jail. It just continues to go on. But if you remember, that dream was someday he would be, in a sense, so successful that everyone around him, even his siblings, would take a knee to him because he would have so much success. And so we find himself in that kind of place. Now, what's interesting about all the nightmares we've talked about, and we're going to talk about one more next week, revenge, payback, it's those seem to be really hard, but what can even be harder is that when we find ourselves in success. Will Smith says this, money and success don't change people. They merely amplify what is already there. And I think you've probably seen that. You've probably already see, you've seen it in your own life. Some of the characteristics in my own life that I don't uh, aren't happy with, when life gets a little bit easier, when I seem to be on the other side, when I seem to be ahead, when I seem to not be under the pressure or whatever, all of a sudden some of these character traits that I'm not very happy exist in my heart, in my life, seem to bubble up and come out a little bit more. Sometimes with our relationship with God, we find that once we get ahead and we think we've kind of managed this thing, arrived, have some success in this area, all of a sudden our relationship with God isn't as intense, isn't as purposeful, isn't as directed, and we back off. Some of us have even done this when it comes to our so-called spiritual growth. We've learned a lot about God. We know a lot about God. we it uh, had a lot of experiences where he's worked in our lives and all of a sudden we, we get ahead, we think we've arrived in this area and, and it, just, it just creates a, a, a kind of like a little chip on our shoulder, a little attitude to the people that aren't where we're at, which actually reflects that really we aren't where we think we're at. So money, success, whatever you want to call it, doesn't change people, they merely amplify what is already there. And what I love about Joseph is he seems to navigate success unbelievably. We're going to look at a story, and we're going to skim through it a little bit, but we're going to see that uh, at around 30, he is able to take success and, and just does it well. He wears it well. Uh, I don't know if I would wear it as well as he wore it. But he wears it extremely well. We've seen business achievements. We've seen uh, politician achievements. We've seen these people that have kind of gotten to success. We've seen some of these people that now are worth hundreds of billions of dollars and they get to a success level. And all of a sudden we see uh, some things amplified in their life and, and things seem to implode. We've seen that in in pastors' lives, celebrities, and and the ones that we just kind of know. Success can become almost as big a nightmare as the moments of adversity, the moments of temptation, the moments of discouragement. And before we get into looking at where Joseph is at, just a couple reminders about this idea, about success, and especially as Christ follows, we need to be aware that success promises what only God can provide. If we look at the American dream, if we look at success, even in spiritual circles, sometimes we fall in love with the success rather than the success giver. We we get caught up with that and we actually fall or take a knee or worship at the altar of success rather than the God that's brought us this far. Joseph, um, me—I, I, in a sense, I, I, I just get more full of who he was by watching him walk through this. That didn't happen for him. Solomon is an example of someone who that came to. You know, we, we read some great proverbs by him, uh, very successful, but uh, he, he just, he, he falls apart. He, he diverts his adoration, his awe, his relationship, in a sense, from God to success. But he writes this, very nice words, the wealth of the rich is their fortified City. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. And you could circle that word wealth and you could draw a line and say the success. In Older Testament writings, often when someone was wealthy, it was automatically uh, attributed to them that they were successful and that they loved God because God had blessed them with their wealth. But Solomon's writing, you know, they can get caught up with that instead of trusting in the God who has made them successful, they trust in the item that expresses their success. Some of us have abilities, and they're God-given abilities. We believe that God made us with design intent. It just didn't happen. And we take stock of who we are, and we take stock of all the work and investment we've done to develop some of those God-given skills, God-given talents, and somewhere along the line, all of a sudden, we take a little bit too much ownership for that ability, that understanding, that intellect, whatever it may be, and we start trusting in that rather than God. Four things rather quickly, some of the things we can... uh, Replace, we can uh, get our security from our success. Because I've uh, done these things, now my life is secure. Times like this have revealed to us that our success hasn't brought the security we thought it would bring. We live in the United States, a wonderful country, the greatest nation on the planet. We have security with that. Yet we have all these things going on, everything from COVID to injustice, and then the expression of that, and then an expression of that going off the rails, and all of those kinds of things. Yet yet back in January we felt pretty secure. Shows that. Also, freedom. Sometimes we look at our success, and now it's made it possible for us to do things. A lot of that is true when we get to a certain place financially. Now we have the ability to go do things, and we have financial freedom. Uh, we have freedom uh, in our employment because we've gotten to the certain place, and we're trusted, and we have a little more latitude, and, and we say, wow, I, I'm, I'm, my freedom is in my success. Going right along with that is the idea of power. Success gives us power, gives us ability to call our shots, and some places call the shots of others. And we have this power, and we settle into that, and we enjoy that. And tying this all together with a ribbon on the top, our bow, is this idea of significance. All of a sudden, our success brings us significance. When we started out, we didn't feel significant. Now that we've have these successes, we feel significant and we feel we have more value when the reality is no matter who you are, where you're at, you have value and God values you as much as when you were just starting off and didn't have security, didn't have freedom, didn't have power, didn't have significance as he does the person that has all those things. The nightmare of success can be real for us. Moses, speaking to the Israelites when they would get into the promised land, get into the success of the dream, writes this. He says, when you take it all in and settle down, when you've arrived, when you're pleased and content, make sure you don't forget how you got there. God brought you out of slavery In Egypt, very dangerous when you and I forget how we got to where we are. Stop and think about that. You enjoy the benefits of success, of a disciplined life, and all these things, and and all of a sudden you start to forget that God is the one that has brought you there. And if you think it's just your hard work that's got you there, you're you're setting yourself up. Success is going to become your, my nightmare. See, success can also produce unexpected snares, places that, that we get tripped up 1 Timothy 6.10 speaks about the love of money, but we can also tie that to the love of success when he writes, For the love of money and what it can buy is the root of all sorts of evil. It's the love, not having it. It's, it's, It's getting to the place where success becomes a stare. Some have already wandered from the truth because they craved... What, they had to off, what it had to offer. But when reaching for the prize, they found their hands and hearts pierced with many sorrows. That root, wandering, reaching for the prize, and then all of a sudden they discover that their success has actually become a snare. We hear these stories every once in a while of someone that was very successful And they're kind of in the content and enjoying all the fruits of their labor. And all of a sudden, they start to lean a little bit one way. They start to wander off. And they can wander off internally before it shows up externally. Often when uh, we hear those stories about somebody that seems like they've turned their back on God, if we could get into their heart, we would see that was set in motion months ago, years ago, and the inside is not right, and the outside looks just right. Something we should be aware of, very conscious of. And then all of a sudden, something comes across the path of their life, and, and they, they just express what's happened inside. That, that horrifies me. You look at the kings in the Older Testament, And you don't see too many that finished well. You see them successful, strong, and all of a sudden at the twilight, they kind of go off the deep end. And they end with many sorrows. What are some of these snares? They're pretty obvious to most of us. Uh, One of them would be pride. The pride that their success has created the snare of pride. Uh, they look at what they've accomplished, they look at their success, and and they own it and hold on to it too much. Instead of having gratitude, they've gotten to the place, I've earned this, I've made this happen, it is mine. And when they look at other people that are not having the same kind of success, they look down at them, without even looking and knowing what's going on in their life. I had a pretty good friend, and... Uh, He was a pastor's son, and I think God was blessing his life for some of that. (laughs) And uh, everything he did, everything he touched, turned to gold, if you would will. He'd start this business, start that business. And it just kept happening and happening and happening. And in his early 40s, he had a kind of arrogance. When someone would fall on difficult times, his thought was, well, you just need to work harder. Look at my life. I worked harder that, that's why this happened this way. It was very interesting what happened when he bought his next business and it failed miserably. Didn't wash him out but all of a sudden he realized there are some things in life it doesn't matter how hard you work at it, doesn't matter what it, it just isn't happening. And it changed his heart. So now as other people would fall on difficult times, there, there was some compassion that didn't exist before. You see, his success created a, a pride. There's also the idea of indulgence. You have a little success, you have a little power, you have a little ability. Again, we often think in times of uh, finances. Now there's a, there's a little more of indulgence. You've been working your way up in the company, and all of a sudden now you have that special parking space. remember at a couple churches when I became the senior pastor uh, at each church, I would have this senior pastor parking space right up front, and, and that just that turned my stomach. Why on Sunday would I need to park so close to the door? I need to park up far away from the door until I need to park close to the door. It was like one of the first things I would do in these two churches is down that sign went. During the week, I could park anywhere I wanted to because there was no, no, no one there, basically. But uh, you know, it, just, it just didn't make sense. We start indulgence. I, I can remember when um, uh, Cindy and I were first married and she was working at L.O. Bean and at the flagship up in Freeport and telemarketing and all of that kind of thing. And there was this, there was this $375 North Face Gore-Tex jacket It's would be like 89 90 this is when Gore-Tex really was adventure gear now it really isn't it's just kind of got the label on it but back then it you know had super zippers and uh so we could get 33 percent off on it and I could save my money and so I saved all this money and uh, got the one-third off price and, and got that and and there was a moment where all of a sudden I realized wait a minute. I was a youth pastor at the time. I said, what kind of message am I sending to all the other high school and junior high students? Nothing wrong with having that jacket, but in this situation, the Lord spoke to my heart. And again, this is different for each person, different at each time. But in my time, I wanted that jacket. I had earned it. I had done everything I should do, and and I wanted it. But I knew, every kid knew exactly how much that jacket cost because they all wanted one. I said, what kind of message am I sending? So I think I had it a couple days, and I took it back. I just did not want to send that message. I didn't want to send that message. It's better to do that on the front side than the after side. But there's a moment where your success, you feel, I've made it, and now I can be a little indulgent. just need to be aware of that. Already touched on this a little bit earlier, but uh, this whole idea of misplaced security. In a time like this, misplaced security, we thought uh, things were invincible, the economy was invincible, maybe our health was invincible, and all of a sudden we find something from around the world can affect us in a super significant way without, in a sense, a shot being fired. doesn't matter how big our army is, how big our military is, it affects us every day. This proves it, right? Misplaced security. And then there's just the pressure to hold on to all of it. Once you got it, once you have that success, there is this feeling that, man, now i got to hold on to it. And if anything threatens my power, my security, uh, I, I react. Sometimes we strike. Some of us have been in those situations where we've had a superior that has, is very sharp, Learn the ropes of the business, the company. But, but when it comes to them starting to feel like they're losing their significance, losing their, their power, uh, they have the pressure that they want to hold on to it. And maybe some of you have experiences where your employer slaps you down because they, wanna, they, they do not want the light even shining a little bit on you. If we went back and looked at King Saul and his relationship with King David, that's the way Saul was. And Saul or David was Saul's greatest ally, if you go back and look at the story. But because Saul was afraid of losing power and he was under that pressure, I've got to hold on to it, I've got to hold on to it, he struck and struck severely in a number of ways. Before we get to 1 Timothy 10, verses 6 through 9, read this way. This is ironic, because godliness along this is ironic because godliness along with contentment does put us ahead, but not in the ways some imagine. You see, we came into this world with nothing, and nothing is going with us on the way out. So as happy as we are clothed and fed, we should be happy as long as we are. But those who chase riches are constantly falling into temptation and snares. They are regularly caught by their own stupid and harmful desires, dragged down and pulled under into ruin and destruction. You see, success, if we're not careful with it, we think we've made it and we've dodged the bullet. We've lived in the dream. But if we're not careful... Success can become the greatest, greatest nightmare. And we may not even realize it immediately. Uh, If we're clothed and fed, we should be thankful. If we've got the basics, but when we start going after all those things as a temptation, it is a snare, and it will drag us down, pulling us under. So, living the dream. Achieving the dream, getting to the place where we're realizing the dream of success can be very dangerous. You can look at a hundred people's lives who have gone through adversity and go, wow, but for every hundred that have gone through adversity, you probably could only find one that's made it to that level of success that in a sense keeps flying right. They don't go off the rails. Sometimes I've wondered in my own life, Is my success, what I think is success, that dream, just a little bit out of arm's reach, not because of anything other than if I get it, it will start to destroy me. Would I self-implode if I lived that dream? Or is God saying, you're just not ready. I have this dream for you, but you are not ready for it. And until you are ready, I'm going to keep it out of arm's reach. And that actually is a form of protection. So, success is not determined by how much you have. Jesus points this out in a, in a parable. He talks about watching out guarding against all kinds of greed, getting, getting, getting. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions of what you have. And Joseph knows this. Somehow Joseph knows this. 17 to age 30, we see no real positive influence in his life. No one coming alongside him. And as we talked earlier, I think if there was those situations, we would start to see them. But he had this relationship with God. He had this dream, and he walked with God. And when he realizes his dream, in chapter 41, he doesn't self-implode. He doesn't implode at 30. I, I, I don't know if I was mature enough at 30 to handle too much success. Whenever I see someone that's younger, that's having success, I, I, I'm, I, I admire the fact that it doesn't, when it doesn't become all about them. Uh, some of these pastor heroes that I've had through the years, I love it when they start a college and it's not named after them. It's named something else. That to me gives a little bit of a hint. But when everything is their name, them, blah, 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 the Dave Spencer ministries, the Dave, you know, I'm going, something's gone wrong there. They own that success just a little too much. Joseph is able to do that. So let's just walk through chapter 41. Joseph, remember, was forgotten. He's still in prison, to thinking two to three years. Uh, two years passed, and Pharaoh had a dream. And uh, then jumping down to verse 8, when the morning came, this is Pharaoh, he was upset. He sent for all his musician, magi- yeah, musicians huh, magicians, and sages of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but they couldn't interpret them to him. Then the head cupbearer spoke up and said to Pharaoh, I now remember something, I'm sorry. I should have told you this long ago. I would get a little nervous saying that, maybe it would have been off back to jail, but... He doesn't do that. Once the Pharaoh got angry with his servants, he locked me and the head baker in the house of the captain of the guard. We both had dreams on the same night, each dream with its own meaning. It so happened that there was a young Hebrew slave there with us. He belonged to the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams. He interpreted them for each of us, each dream separately. Things turned out just as he interpreted I was returned to my position, and the head baker was impaled. The Pharaoh once sent for Joseph. They brought him on the run from the jail cell. He cut his hair. They cut his hair, put on clean clothes, and came to Pharaoh. I dreamed a dream, Pharaoh told Joseph. Nobody can interpret it, but I've heard that just by hearing a dream, you can interpret it. And what's amazing is the next verse. The next verse, again, reveals the heart of Joseph. Joseph is in a place to uh, embrace and not implode when he experiences success. His answer shows this. Joseph answered, not I, but God will set the Pharaoh's mind at ease. He's a conduit for God's blessing to the Pharaoh. When you and I are the conduit, do we point to God? It's it's not because I'm such a great person that I'm doing this, that I'm helping you out, but it's because my God is great. God is working in my heart, therefore my heart responds in these ways. Not I, but God. I love the fact, Pharaoh, your mind will be at ease. Moving on. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, in my dream, Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's two dreams mean this. We'll go see what they mean. God is letting Pharaoh in on what he's doing. Again, pointing right back to God. Seven years of plenty were on their way throughout Egypt, but on their heels will come seven years of famine, leaving no trace of the Egyptian plenty. As the country is emptied by famine, there won't be even a scrap left of the previous plenty. The famine will be total. So Pharaoh needs to look for a wise and experienced man and put him in charge of the country. Then Pharaoh needs to appoint managers throughout the country to organize it during the years of plenty. Their job will be to collect the food produced in the good years ahead and stockpile the grain under Pharaoh's authority, storing it in the towns for food. This grain will be held back to be used later during the seven years of famine. That are coming on Egypt. The way the country, this way the country won't be devastated by the famine. This sounded like a good idea to Pharaoh and his officials. Then Pharaoh said to his officials, Isn't this the man we need? Are we gonna find anyone else who has God's spirit in him like this? Boy, wouldn't, wouldn't you like to be in that successful moment? And somebody looking at your life says, I can see God's spirit in you. The quality of Joseph's life, the way he interacts with others, and he is one that because he has embraced God in his life, has been making deposits all along. It isn't just the day he gets called. It's been all these years that God's spirit, it's obvious, is on him. Boy, wouldn't I love to navigate in my neighborhood, talk to my neighbors, wherever I go, and for people to realize that I am a Christ follower because of the way I behave and interact. That's an act of God in a person's life. That is awesome. In times like this, as a church family, we desperately need others to see that God's spirit is on us when we've said yes to Christ. This is an opportune time. This is a fantastic time to show that when the bottom drops out of life in so many areas, yes, we're bothered by it as Christ follows, but we're not shaken to the core. God's spirit is in us. Have you ever seen anything like that? So the Pharaoh said to Joseph, you're the man for us. God has given you the inside story. No one is qualified as you in experience and wisdom. From now on, you're in charge of my affairs. All my people will report to you. Only as king, I will be over you. Then it's amazing what Joseph receives. Then Joseph, then the Pharaoh removed his signet ring. This is like the super duper pass to everything. And now he had it and slipped it on Joseph's hand. He outfitted him in robes. He had lost his first robe, left his second robe, and now he's getting a robe of the best linen. Put a gold chain around his neck. He put him the second-in-command chariot at his disposal. He has a chariot. He got a brand-new car, whatever you would dream the Baltimore car is. He now has it. As he rode, people shouted, bravo, celebration. Look at this guy. Joseph was in charge of the entire country. 30 years old. Pharaoh told Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but no one in Egypt will make a single move without your stamp of approval. And I'm sure that includes Potiphar and Potiphar's wife. Pretty interesting. Tables are turned almost overnight. Then Pharaoh gave Joseph an Egyptian name, which means God speaks and he lives. He gets a new name. When you and I say yes to Christ, we, in essence, get a new name. It is Christian, Christ follower. We get that name. We are a new creation in Christ, and we get to see that start to work itself into our life, into our heart, and then on the outside of our heart. We get a new name. He also gave him an Egyptian wife. And I can't even try to pronounce that. And yes, that's Potiphar. There's a connection there, but not same family, same last name kind of thing. And Joseph took his duties over all over the land. Joseph was 30 years old when he went to work for the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. As soon as Joseph left Pharaoh's presence, he began his work in Egypt. I would have at least wanted to go, like, out to a restaurant. I really like Cheesecake Factory. Let's go to Cheesecake Factory and start tomorrow, you know, get everything. No, Joseph is to work immediately. That character, that that quality that caused him to experience the success of living out his dream. It's amazing that he does that. Joseph collected so much grain as all this unfolds. It was like sands of the ocean that he finally kept keeping track. Joseph had two sons born to him before the years of famine came. Amazing, he's lost a family, now he has a family. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, saying, God made me forget all my hardships and my parental home. It's not that he wasn't dealing with it. It wasn't, going to, it wasn't going to define him any longer. His hurts of the past, he was free from them. They would not define him. Next week we'll see that that really is true. Amazing place to be. He named his second son Ephraim, saying, God has prospered me in the land of my sorrow. Then Egypt's seven good years came to an end, and the seven years of famine arrived, just as Joseph has said. All the countries experienced famine. Egypt was the only country that had bread. As the famine got worse over all the country, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold emergency supplies to the Egyptians. The famine was very bad. Soon the whole world was coming to buy supplies from Joseph. The famine was bad all over. And this is years later. So he took the success at 30 and lived it for years and years up until almost 40. You see, success is determined by how you and I use it. It isn't something to kind of uh, sleep on, settle on, just kind of like mm, snuggle into. It's something to use. And Joseph, again, as he uses his success, always lets it integrate with his faith in God. And again, he continues to point that. All these ideas are something that you and I can hold on to, and then these are ideas that we can let slip through our hands. Again, going back to Proverbs, this is what uh, Solomon says. Honor God with everything you own, everything at your disposal. Give him the first and the best. Success is how you use it. A friend of mine who's extremely wealthy and sometimes feels guilty for it, sometimes talks to me, and I say to him, I say his name, of course, and I say his name, and then I say to him, what's amazing about you is you do not hold on to it. You give so much of it away. I'm not sure if I had been blessed the way you had been blessed, I would be as generous as you are. You see, you give, he, you give it away. You honor God with it, and it's just not money. It's, it's intellect. It's coming alongside. It's consulting. He does a lot of these kinds of things, This is a reminder for us when we think of all of our life, which includes our finances, that we need to give the first and the best. We could take time and talk about what that really looks like. I encourage you to go to our website, click on giving, and there's a little story about how that all unfolds in our lives. It's a part of using our success well. So the bottom line is this. When you get ahead, it doesn't have to go to your head. You should be able to remember this. When you get ahead, it doesn't have to go to your head. You can actually be successful and actually use it well. And Joseph, like no one else, does this. He takes his success, and we'll see next week that it really was heart drilled down deep into his heart, that he takes it and uses it well. It doesn't go to his head, and one expression of that is the way he handles the opportunity to act out in revenge. We're going to stop here. If you go online and look at message guide, if you go to the message session, the next little blanks, you'll be able to find them there filled in for you. So you can do that. If you have any questions about that, uh, let me know. So pick up with that. Let's uh, close our time in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for the life of Joseph. Uh, we thank you for the way it speaks to us. It speaks to me. I'm just, I just like this guy. I, I I lift him up in esteem. I know he wasn't perfect, but the fact that he could he could go through his nightmares and and navigate them, but then that he could navigate success as a young man. Father, we just ask that you would help us to see where you have helped us live a dream, where you've given us success, where you've given us power, ability. Um, resources, whatever it is, and that you'll help us to see how to leverage them like Joseph did. He didn't leverage it for himself. He leveraged it for the good of others. And as he walked down that road, you gave him more and more success. We thank you for the lesson. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.